Welcome back to Finding Strength Podcast with Matt Quackenbush and Bethany Tenney. We are excited about this episode. This is a great one. We have Mike Allison, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sexologist. You heard that right. He's a sexologist. We got him in here. We got him talking about his story. We got him talking about all sorts of good stuff. Lots of good tips and tricks for all of us. Yes, you don't want to miss this one. We talk about how many times we be having sex in a day, how many any sexual trauma and how to survive that. We talk about intimacy with your partner. What's the difference between intimacy and sex and how to improve that? So there's a few things we may talk about in this episode that kids may not be able to hear, such as um, rape, and we discuss some oral sex and a few different things that might just be a little uncomfortable for kids. So keep them out on this one. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Finding Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Quackenbush, here with my good friend, Bethany Tenney. Yes, I'm here. Oh, boy. Whatever, this, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be good. We are in a room with five people. Normally, there's like two or three of us. Oh, it's raining outside. That's kind of cool. Um, Setting squirrel. the mood. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're here, and I have my... Lovely, lovely partner in crime, the Brindy K. Quackenbush. Say hi, Brindy. Hi. She's here. <laughs> we also have a couple other guests. Yes. With me is my favorite person, Kevin Tenney. Hello, hello. Good to be here. And of course, the man of the hour, ladies and gentlemen, Sexy Mike. <laughs> Good afternoon. There he is. Thanks for bringing me here, Matt. <laughs> You've been working on that voice. Yeah, Mike knows what he's doing. Mike Allison is a friend of mine. We work together here at Deer Hollow. We're actually recording from Deer Hollow today. And um, I asked Mike to come on the podcast because we want to get a little bit more down and dirty. No, not really. We want to get a little bit more real with intimacy and figure out what... Sexual health looks like for couples. What is that supposed to be? Is there a supposed to be? What is normal? What is not? Yes, definitely. I feel like, so the, the podcast is about finding strength. And part of finding strength is finding yourself and finding how you fit with your partner. So if there's uncomfortableness as far as um, sexually or an in intimacy in any way, it's going to create that in the rest of your life. So that is why we've got Mike on here today. We've got some questions for him and he's got some knowledge to throw out for us. Like, uh, Mike, first of all, what, explain what your title is. Who are you? Well, I don't know a title. Well, I'm a marriage and family therapist, which means um, essentially we look at things from a systemic standpoint, from a relational standpoint. So relationships are our bread and butter, so to speak, and how we relate to each other and inter interrelate. And I am a uh, sexologist, which means I study sex, in this case, human sexuality. And what that means, I kind of specialize in sexual trauma. So that's uh, one of my focuses. But uh, 
you know, for most of us that probably have a little bit of trauma in all of our lives. I missed all that because I was messing with the mic. <laughs> okay. We're having technical difficulties. I don't even know what's going on. Matt's like behind the scenes fixing stuff and I'm just zoned in. So when you talk about sexual trauma, I think um, a lot of us think, okay, you must have been raped, molested. Um, that type of, that's what I think firsthand. But I think in my mind now, when I think of a trauma, I think it could be many other things. And I think probably the majority of women in general and possibly men as well have some sort of sexual trauma in their life that you're dealing with. Uh, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Uh, again, the, uh, probably one of the things about trauma is people don't always know when they have trauma. And I think you guys talked about trauma, so you might have a good idea of, of that. And to me, trauma is really about meaning. And sometimes the meaning doesn't come in the moment. It might, it might be years from now, you know, but, um, yes, sexual trauma, it could be a lot of things. I mean, the uh, just the idea of someone, to me, um, someone probably um, doing something inappropriately to someone else that has some kind of a sexual meaning for them, or some kind, really some kind of power and control meaning. But that might be, um, I'm going to uh, make my cousin watch pornography with me. That that could be sexual abuse. Or it could be, um, you know, any of those types of things where I'm trying to uh, have some power and control over somebody else in a way that that might be sexual or might um, give me some sort of sexual gratification, and which kind of weirdly covers things up sometimes, where we don't we don't really notice that that's we're having a real uh, abuse because sex is fairly normal for everybody. So it's it's sometimes it's hard, and then it's. Um, it's sometimes it's shameful and people don't want to talk about it. So they hold it inside and we never know until things happen. So I would totally agree with that. I think when you talk about shameful and sex, I think for myself growing up as a kid, sex was bad. Sex was no, you don't have sex. You don't is it was a naughty word in my house. And I, I assume in the culture I lived in, not just my home, um, so then I get married and it's all of a sudden supposed to go from this is naughty to, yeah, do it. This is awesome. <laughs> Everyone have a great time. So that may not be a trauma, but that's definitely something like mentally. I think a lot of people, especially where we live, maybe have to work on. Well, I think if you listen to Amy episode, she talks about trauma and basically goes into trauma is super relative as far as what we go through in our experiences. I would say that the way I grew up, as far as talking about sexuality and intimacy, there was no one specific traumatic event that happened, but because of the way that I was exposed to sexuality early on, at a young age, not from my parents, right? From seeing pornography on the school bus on the way home. That's the first time I was ever introduced to anything sexual. That became my narrative for sexuality, and it's something that I have to, like, figure out on my own as a young kid. And then you go into ninth grade and you get sex ed and they give you all these ideas of what sex should look like and what it shouldn't look like. And then you start to create these narratives of your own of what sex means according to what everybody else is telling you. And that's a really hard thing to kind of figure out as a child. And then you don't really ever question that. You get into your adulthood. That's all you know. And that's all you know, right? Is that Typically for you, Mike, is that kind of what you run into? Or? Well, yeah, and I think that's actually a, a very good example is the 
okay, I grew up in this in this family, and in the family, well, if you're a good girl, you you don't have sex before marriage, mm-hmm. right? Or, or may, you're lucky if they say before marriage. If you're, you're unlucky if they say you don't have sex, right? So if you're yeah. a good girl, you don't have sex. All right, I'm getting married. Now, all of a sudden, what's the expectation? And what's going to happen? And mm-hmm. am I a bad person now? And what if I, I, I remember I worked with someone one time who said, you know, in, in their culture, if they have a soulmate, they would never feel sexual attraction to anyone else. And they were very upset one day, and we were friends, and they were crying. I said, what's wrong? I said, well, I went to this movie, and in the movie, I'm watching this movie, and I realized I'm feeling kind of aroused by this guy on the screen, which means I'm totally betraying my partner and everything else. It's like, okay, well, we got some, we got something to talk about here. And, and that, that's exactly it. It's, it's what's the context where all this comes from, because it's quite easy for a parent to say, there's a time and a place for it, or it's bad, or it's wrong. Even though their goal is to, to teach someone a good lesson, it doesn't come out the same way because they're hearing something different. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, I have a question here. I, uh, I'm wondering, with what you see all the time, what is probably the most common thing that people come to you with? Like, what, what are people... What, what's the majority... Not, maybe not even majority. What's the most common thing that people seem to struggle with and what has been your advice or just something you have them do? Okay. The, uh, you know, the most common probably intimacy-related problem, it's not something that's overt, you know, where I've got this trauma or something else, but the most common intimacy-related problem is probably going to be a, what we call a sexual discrepancy. So um, Bill wants to have sex five times a week. I only want to have sex one time a week, so on Tuesday we got a problem, Right. So, and as Matt says, I go to the movies all the time and these guys are, you know, they're the healthy people are having sex every day. So there's something wrong with me. Right. And then we get into this whole problem of now there's a right and a wrong. There's a, there's a normal and an abnormal. One of us is normal. One of us isn't. When in fact, every relationship is going to have a discrepancy. Everyone's going to have a different level of what feels comfortable or not comfortable. And what we say usually is if, if I ask what's, What's normal? What's normal sexuality? What's the normal number of times to have sex in a week? He's asking you, Brittany. Me? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, man. On the spot. Oh, man, on the spot. This is why you guys love to do I want to know the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it just depends. It depends on where no, no. we're that's, at. That's you are dodging no, the I'm question. No, I'm not dodging. I'm just saying. There are times where we have sex twice a day, okay. you know? Then there's times where we have sex once a day like five days in a row. So what's normal? Normal average. for us, average, I would say three times a week. Okay. So the, the answer is correct. Normal for us. What's normal out there in the world is what's normal for us. Well, we only have however many people are in the room to keep happy, right? So if there's one of us, normal's normal. If there's two of us, we've got to figure out what normal is. If there's mm-hmm. ten of us, we've all got to figure out what normal is, right? Yeah. But normal is what we all feel comfortable with. It's not a, there's no number in a book. So I think that's the first thing is people understanding there's nothing shameful about having a difference. It's typical. Now what are we going to do with the difference? It was interesting when me and Bethany got married. I thought that normal because I had an older brother that led the way for me. And (laughs) Scott, I love you. (laughs) And, you know, he's kind of like a a nympho a little bit, him and his wife. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, shoot, I've got to have sex like three times a day for the first year. (laughs) And we, I'm like, 
What's and wrong? This is why we had problems. Yeah, no. And so, yeah, I thought I was like, That's what? No what is the matter? What is the matter with me? I I should be doing this. And you know, the the older I've gotten, I've realized number isn't nearly as important to me as the connection we have when we actually have sex. So, so here's something something I really like that you mentioned earlier is talking about it. I feel like for me growing up, no one talked about it. And I feel like even after I got married, I got married and no one talked to me about it. Like, tell me, I don't know what to expect. I've never done this before. And I, I think it's a horrible, I guess for me, I've learned so much talking to friends, talking to family members, talking with my husband. The more we talk about it, it's not dirty. It's not gross. It's just we get rid of some of those funky myths mm-hmm. that aren't real. Like the, you should be having it three times a day the first year you're married. Well, do people really do that? You talk to a few people and they're like, I didn't do that. Well, I didn't do that either. What are some of those myths that you hear when they come in and talk to you? Well, I think the, the first one is, is the what's normal. How much sex is normal, you know, and I want to do it this many times or whatever. Uh, or he's crazy or whatever. And... um Probably what really happens is when those myths are believed, you know. So let's say, for instance, you believe I'm supposed to have sex three times a week or three times a day, three times a day, whatever it is, right? Now, what's happening when my partner doesn't want to have sex three times a day is because they're not attracted to me. I'm not sexy. I'm doing it wrong. Not whatever. Never say that about so, myself, so, but you might every now and then think a weird thought like that, right? So, the insecurity that comes with that, and just like you're saying, are we going to talk about that? Are we going to talk? Are, am I going to say, "Hey, honey, uh, you must not be attracted to me because you don't want to have sex three times a day, and and we all know that's normal." Um, so. I don't talk about it. And then I just believe you aren't attracted to me. And what's my partner going to think when I start acting like you're not attracted to me? They're going to feel like I'm, there's something wrong with me or I'm mad at them. And so now we've got all kinds of problems going on out of a misunderstanding. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and based on a myth. And so that idea of, you know, uh, we've got to have sex all these times. Another one that, uh, a myth that I think it was, it was, it was a, I don't know where I saw this at. It was in a magazine, so it's probably not even true. But, um, but it's <laughs> true because I'm going to true. say it's it now, magazine. so it's true. <laughs> Officially, uh, someone did a survey and they said, you know, um, how many times is, is sex satisfying? And essentially people said sort of like, it's satisfying about half the time. So if we're going to choose whether to, you know, watch a movie or have sex, about half the time we might as well just chose to watch the movie, we'd probably be happier, right? And so how often am, am I really satisfied with this? Sex is probably blah at least half the time. And it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, whatever rating movie you're watching, it doesn't have to be that, it's, it's just normal. And, and that's a, a, the huge part of that is we're so caught up in the pop culture tells us what's normal, what's right, what's what's not right. I mean, and let's face it, if you've ever watched a movie with any sort of intimacy in it, you're going to be hard-pressed to keep up with that and and go from there. Are are there, like, common themes or common bits of advice that you give couples to increase satisfaction? Well, Because uh, if it's only 50% of the time, I feel like I wish I knew something to make it not 50%, like 60. I don't know. Well, okay, so let's start with... Um, Let's start with, let's just blow a myth out of the water. We'll start with testosterone. Doc, I'm not able to uh, 
get aroused or sex spontaneous sex doesn't work for me. Must be my testosterone. I need some testosterone shots, right? Mm-hmm. Well, kind of the reality of that is it's not about my testosterone. It's about my time. How much free time do we have in our lives? How much time do we have to go, hey, let's be spontaneous right now. I got 35 seconds. Let's go hurry and be spontaneous. We don't have spontaneity anymore. So the first part of this is saying, I need to set up some time. It's not bad to go, hey, Tuesday at 8. Seems like it's pretty free on the calendar. Let's maybe circle that and make that the night we have fun or whatever. Or, you know, the kids are gone, whatever. We start to plan that. And once we start to plan it, what happens? We're all kind of in the place to talk about it. We're in the place to get there. We're we're, um, already maybe excited. Maybe we've spent the day texting each other and and fooling around a little bit um, with each other, having fun. And then suddenly we're in the mood and everything's going to be better. And and we're present. And I mean, we know everybody that works with trauma knows how difficult it is to be present for anything and if I've got any kind of trauma, I don't want my partner getting this, so I'm probably holding a lot of that back, and I'm not present for for our intimacy. And my partner's there, and I am someplace else, and meanwhile my body's going through the motions, and it's probably not going to be very much fun for anybody. Okay, I love that because I have six kids, and I've noticed... Good job. <laughs> <laughs> keep her hands off. All in the first 12 I months. Mean, <laughs> the thing is, it's being present is a huge thing. And I've noticed, especially for women, as I've talked to friends of mine, that if you aren't mentally there, you're not there. Mm-hmm. It's just a body. I agree the, with that. The woman. The woman, the woman, the woman. Especially. Men, I feel like, are much better at zoning out kind yep. of what's going on. And not all men. I'm speaking for my husband. Zoning out what's going on, like a kid knocking on the door, mom, mom. Yeah, that'll that'll wreck that real quick. Because as soon as you take your mentally, as soon as you pull away from that, it's not the same connection. It's not the same intimacy. Because what I've noticed for myself is intimacy, sex is not just about sex. It's yeah. not just about the act of sex. Mm-hmm. It's and I tell people this all the time. I mean, I, my husband and I work together pretty much all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And if he's ignoring me or if he's kind of in a bad mood, (laughs) if, but I'm just saying if he is, (laughs) if he's not there, if he's having a rough day or whatever, there's no way the thought of sex ever enters my mind that day. Yeah. But if he were walking, you know, working together and he grabs my butt at work or he just even touches me or kisses me on the cheek, anything like that. It's an all day thing for us women. Yes. It's an all day thing. It's It's a buildup. You can easily build it up. So easily, guys. Come on. Just send us a sweet text. Or like she said, grab my butt when you walk by. It's that yes. easy. So those are the kind of things I feel yeah. like are maybe maybe a little different with men and women. What do you think? Well, so Matt, you made a comment the other day, and we'll see what Sexy Mike has to say about this. <laughs> um, that Disclaimer, I say a lot of stupid things. <laughs> you oh, made the comment. You made the comment that sex sex for men is mm-hmm. actually a lot more emotional than it is for women. And I think initially I thought to myself, no, guys are just horny and that's what they want. But then I thought about in our own relationship how for me to have the best sex with my spouse, it seems like there's more passion in it where like kissing. Kissing is a very emotional thing. So for me, as much as I'm the typical guy that just likes sex – there is a difference 
I don't know where you heard that from, but Mike, what do you think about that? Is that true? Well, um, first, newsflash, men are way more emotional than women. Hence, <laughs> hence, we have wars over oil and stuff like that. We're fighting about things that we could just probably agree on if we, if it's we okay took them It's okay for men to, to cry. But, well, no, we're not crying. That's not, we're not going to show emotion. Uh, don't be but, tough now. But, um, yes, to answer the question, no, uh, let's see. The idea of, you know, one of the things we think of, and this is, again, something that couples uh, struggle with, especially with a little bit of, maybe some of the trauma or maybe some of the um, uncertainty or shame that's already in the relationship is we got to think in terms, and this is going to maybe contradict what you're saying a little bit, but evolutionarily or biologically, uh, and this is going to sound bad, but I'll fix it in a minute, but sex for men has no consequences. Right, we got. Hey, all right, seven and a half minutes. We're done, and and we're out the door. There's no. I'm sorry, man. I take drugs. It's all. But um, so we're out the door, and there's no consequence. The woman, on the other hand, what's the potential consequences? I mean, I, I might I might get pregnant, in which case I have to be safe. I'm going to have a child that can't protect itself, in which case I have to be safe. I have to know that um, I can raise the child safely. I'll have all these things. So there's a big security issue. So biologically, part of for a woman to really actually willingly consensually being in a, in a place to have sex, they need to be safe. They need to mm-hmm. feel like the relationship is safe and that they're secure. And the more secure they feel, the more comfortable everything is, and the more natural this, this comes. And I think what you're saying is when I'm able to help my partner feel safe about herself and feel safe about us, all of a sudden things are taken off. And so the idea of, you paying attention to her needs, yeah, that's probably more emotional, but that's the big part of a, of a good partner is I, my, my partner's got to be safe first because, yeah, we can be on the roller coaster. I'm good with that, but my partner needs to know that the roller coaster is going to get off and we're going to be safe at the bottom. So, And I would have to agree with that 100%. I would say after me and Matt are intimate, I feel like we are more connected. I'm on the same page as him. I have this connection with him where I want to be do more for him as a wife. It just opened like it just opens this whole new door when we're on the same page after intimacy. So here's my question. You're talking about a woman needs to feel safe. How and I I know you deal with some of this, how do you how can a woman say a woman has been sexually traumatized? How do they feel safe again? in order to have an intimate relationship with another man. Okay, so there's not enough time for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> here's, no, here's where this comes from. Because first of all, and the men in the room can think about this, I uh, thinking about some things a while back and a conversation I had actually in therapy. Uh, I had a conversation with, with uh, one of my clients, and I said, we were talking about some situation. I said, are you safe in this situation? And she muttered under her breath, she says, I'm never safe. And I said, you're not safe in this situation? And she says, I've, no, I've never felt safe. And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, um, how safe do women really feel? Because in our culture, there's probably a lot more abuse going on than we realize. And is, as I sit now and I deal in groups and I talk to people, I really start to feel like... I have a myth about safety that women don't have. 
are women ever really safe? Do they, I mean, I'm living my life. Do I really feel safe? How, how much compromise am I experiencing just to be able to go through the course of my day? And so, yeah, if I've had any kind of trauma that's going to, um, and there's another part of this, but if I have any sort of trauma that's going to kind of um, start to hedge at that safety, which is pretty much everything, but then I'm going to have a problem. The other piece is in childhood sexual abuse, a lot of times children don't get to consent or not consent. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of compliance. And guess what? If I'm raised in a, in a, in a, um, the context of complying with everything, I don't learn to have a choice. So there might be times when I'm never safe because I never really get to make a choice about what I'm doing. I'm kind of always living in somebody else's choice. And so I've really got to slow down and feel like my partner values me for me. And that's where it starts at. When my, when my partner is paying attention to me and understanding that, okay, if you touch me there, we're probably going to stop and go have hot chocolate because I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. So, but if my partner goes, oh, crap, what can I do? Well, let's go have hot chocolate, talk about this, great. But if my partner goes, you're always doing this. This always happens. You know, you're never happy, whatever. And, and, and I don't know why this keeps coming up. I didn't do this to you, whatever, all this shame stuff, right? We're not going to be safe with any of this. Ever. So being able to back down and say, okay, this is a, like any other type of PTSD treatment or, or healing it's a team. My partner and I are on a team, and we got to protect the other person's triggers and traumas. And so that's the first part of this is i got to be safe. i got to know I can talk about this, and you're going to respect it. Yeah. Well, Mike, how many people go through this sexual trauma? What, what percent of women actually have this trauma that you're, you're speaking of? And the magical answer is I don't know. Nobody knows mostly because we don't talk about it um, and we don't totally understand. I mean, if you grow up with some of this, you don't know that you've had trauma. It's kind of like it's real. But my experience is uh, I think the popular answer is when we're talking about women, probably 3 in 10 have had unwanted sexual um, contact or something during the time of their childhood, you know, 0 to 18. My experience is it's probably closer to somewhere between 40 and 60%. And my gut feeling is it's probably closer to 75%. So almost double what? Yeah, because we, we don't talk about it. And so it's not brought up. And, everybody, and the idea is, again, if we go back to the idea of compliance, why would I bring it up? I'm, my job is to comply and accept these things, and we're not going to bring it up. We're just going to do our best to, to live with it. But, and so the, the hard part with that is I don't think we're really understanding when we're sitting in a room with people probably a lot of people in this room have some kind of trauma. And for men, I don't know that it's um, necessarily much less, but it's probably, um, I'm sure it's less talked about. And and sometimes you're kind of surprised with how many people you deal with that actually have sexual trauma. Um, But I would imagine it's probably pretty high for men as well. I don't, I think we, we actually have some serious issues in our society that we don't talk about. We've, we've ignored for a long time, and it's kind of set us up for a little bit of disaster. Mm-hmm. I, I know you pretty well, Mike, and I know you, you're one of the most... You're, you're a really passionate guy. You're also freaking hilarious, which is I, I enjoy immensely. But I, I've always... Very misunderstood. <laughs> very misunderstood. <laughs> I've always wondered, like, when I meet other therapists, 
why did you choose to do what you do? Because I always find that story really fascinating. And so if you're comfortable answering that, I would love to hear why you've chosen PTSD, trauma, and especially like the sexual intimacy part of it. That's probably has some personal connection to it or something. I don't know, maybe. Okay, so um, let me see if I can I dial back my emotions here. Okay, because um, men can't cry or be emotional. <laughs> no, they can cry, remember? Oh, I said can, that. Can they can cry. cry. Okay. All men can cry. Well, and and I do want to, before I ask, answer this question, I do want to say about the intimacy, that's the misunderstood part. Sex lasts an hour, two hours, seven and a half minutes. The intimacy should be lasting 24 hours. The intimacy Agreed. is I'm walking past you in the kitchen and I put my hand on you. I kiss you. We're having a connection all the time. This is And this is critical because this is the piece that's keeping us connected. Yes. The sex is just some fun piece of this, but the intimacy goes on all day. Yep. Um, has nothing to do with why I started doing this, so I'll answer the question now. <laughs> uh, I, um, I think I've always been interested in psychology, and, and I, I studied psychology in college before I ran away and joined the Marine Corps. Um, and I studied uh, um, accidentally through my job in the, in the Marine Corps, I learned about um, neuro-linguistic programming. And some of the people who were the founders of neuro-linguistic programming are also the founders of, of family systems therapy. Don't ask me why. Um, and so after I left uh, the military originally, I went and uh, I worked with gang kids uh, that were in, incarcerated in California. And then I came back to Utah after all the riots and earthquakes and whatnot. And I was working in special education. And I love special education. The problem is... Let's see, I gotta, I, this has to probably be fairly politically correct. Um, it's frustrating when you can't do anything with the whole family. So I have someone in front of me, and I can only affect a certain parts of this person. Meanwhile, the whole family is doing weird stuff. And it hasn't to do with special education. It's just the population I worked with. But a lot of times, the support's not there. Mm-hmm. And it got frustrating because I felt like I couldn't help the people that wanted help. And, and since I walked away from the Marine Corps, I felt like I had to help everybody. And if I couldn't help everybody, I was failing. So I kind of ran away from that for a while. Um, and I, once I came back in and, and I actually became a therapist, uh, which is not really a very exciting story, but when I, um, I never wanted to work with the military and I never wanted to work with trauma because it's complicated. And so when I was an intern, I was actually interning with, with Amy and, um, the people we work with are all military people. Okay, that's great. And it's kind of like, oh, I can kind of connect with these people. So the men, I never want to work with men in the military. So here I am working with men with PTSD, with trauma, and, and all these different kinds of trauma. And that was good. And then I'd walk across the hall and start working with women. Um, if you're not prepared for that, you're not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like uh, when I first started hearing the things that, that they had experienced, it's like, I want to run home and hug my kids. You yeah. know, it's like, I got to hug my daughter. Am I doing okay with my daughters? You know, cause yep. the, this is, this is scary. I was there today, Mike. Right. And so two hours ago <laughs> and, and the, the things you hear, which are horrifying, but, um, the, and I think if I'd have done this in a different setting, I might not have connected the same way, but being in a program where you're working with somebody in a very intensive setting for 30 or 40 days, you see a huge amount of change and you also connect in some very, strange intimate ways with people who are really trusting you with their story and it's and and i learned that trust is like it's the biggest thing anybody can give you is the trust i mean this is this is a huge mm-hmm. gift i'm going to trust you with my story it's like i know your story i know i wouldn't trust anybody with this story myself but and your trauma would kill me if i experienced it is, is there one that sticks out in your mind is like a story that just like you worked with someone and 
I'll, you I'll, just remember. I'll tell you the story that I will tell. I won't tell any of those stories for a number of reasons, one of which is because we probably won't be able to walk out of the room. Um, but there was a person I worked with, and because I'm older, you know, maybe 20 years older than most of the women, maybe a little bit more, they would, they would jokingly call me dad. Not the greatest thing if people have childhood trauma from their parent to be right. called dad, right? But I understood why they did this. And, and, but the problem was that my, my colleagues would go, why do you let them call you dad? And I say, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm not letting them do anything. They're doing what they do. So it's like they're adults. They get to do what they do. And this one person in particular um, who I knew her story very well, we were walking one day, and I think it was just a couple of us, probably the two of us and somebody else, and she said that, and I said, you know, um, it really bothers me that you call me dad because I know what your dad did. And she says, oh, no, it's not about, um, sorry, <clears throat> it's not about that. She says, I never got a dad. Oh. And so having somebody that could, be, that could give me these types of things, this is what I would want from a dad. It's like, all right, I'll buy that. Cool. So, I awesome. get that, man. I get that. I, I, to work with these women, um, right now here, we have a bunch of women and it's kind of a crazy house at Deer Hollow, but it, it's, it's different because it's all, it's always the sexual abuse stuff and it's just to, to be trusted with that story and to be able to provide a safe place for a woman who's never felt safe in her life. It's, it's incredible, but it's also freaking gut-wrenching and heartbreaking and I think about my daughter every single day every single day when I'm hearing these stories and and I just your heart breaks for these for these women and and men who've just been through unbelievably horrific experiences right. it's it's incredible so thank you for doing what you do man and and your inspiration to to the younger generation of guys who want to be like you it's but not it's really you cool younger than <laughs> <laughs> I agree and I think I guess for me, the the biggest thing that comes out of all this is I just, I want people to talk about it. I want people, it's like, you know, obviously when you come to therapy, you need someone to hear your story. You need to talk about it. And I feel like if we never talk about it, if it's never something you feel comfortable with because someone's looking at you wrong or judging you because, I mean, for women, for instance, I mean... This might be an odd thing to say, but that's just me. <clears throat> my son just went away to college and I told him, I'm like, you need to be careful because I don't, women, I don't know how to say this right. I want you, if you are ever going to be intimate with someone, you better have a yes. And if there's not a yes, you don't do anything. And I felt like that was super important because there's so many women out there who don't, maybe don't say no, and but they, in that, those words, but in every other way, they're saying no. And I think that's super important for men to find that boundary young. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's really important for women to talk about this and say what's happened. Yes. Amen, sister. <laughs> and have the courage... To have that conversation with your own children, when boys and girls alike, especially with the boys and especially with the girls or too. With the girls, yeah. I would say more so with the girls because when us women get in that position, me personally, and I've been sexually molested myself, and 
when you're in that. I was never taught to say no. I was never taught to say, don't touch me like that. And so I think not only for your son, I think we should teach our daughters and our nieces, you know, like whoever, like when you're in a position and you're not comfortable, you tell that person no, or you walk away because it will change the rest of your life. And I think that's actually one of the things we just spoke about today in group is this idea of what's consent and what's not consent. And we've built this kind of society of compliance, or at least where we expect women to comply. You know, mm-hmm. and my, my picture that I paint is if a woman's standing in line at the bank and a man steps in front of her, she's supposed to back up. Yeah. If, a woman's, if a man steps in front of another man in the bank, you're probably going to get, hey, what are you doing? You're stepping in my place. Who's, right, who's, <laughs> who's going to back the woman up if she says, hey, you're in my place? That's the fear, right? No one's going to back me up. Yeah. And that's why we do have to talk about this. But part of this, the part that actually hurts me quite a bit, is when you think of any, I don't know, make up a, a, a courtroom drama in your head where we're talking about rape, and, and the, the lawyer will ask the perpetrator, you know, um, did she consent? Um, well, I don't know if she consented. Well, did she say no? Well, no is not consent. Yes is consent. No is not consent. And so th- you're right. The answer is consent is, sounds like this, yes. Did they say yes? And guess what? Can they, they can say no anytime they want. Anybody can say no. We can stop in the middle of everything and say, hot chocolate time, we're done, right? <laughs> and, and that's what the power you have to have. And it's very important because, you know, in any of these places, in any situations or families where stuff like this is going on, yes, the boys that see this, they learn that it's compliance. You should be compliant. And it's not necessarily because they're experiencing anything, but that's just what's put out there, that women should be complying. There isn't a yes or no moment. Mm-hmm. It's a here I am moment, you know. And so that idea of can I say no and what, what happens. And, again, all this idea of is it shameful if I say no? Am I hurting his feelings? Is he you know, going to reject me and all these things? And I agree with that 100%. And I think us women get scared. We get scared because we don't know what will happen if we do say no. Well, Mike, I have another question I have is, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, is we're talking about things that people can do. And we, we've touched a lot on, you know, like rape and sexually molested as children. Obviously, there's the answer of go to therapy to get through this. What are some other basics that you think people can do to start to heal from some of these things that were done to them as children? So, and that's actually a really good question because the, um, the answer to that is we can heal all these things in healthy relationships. If the relationship's healthy, you know, if I walk out the door and I'm, I have expectations that aren't very good, but I happen to meet someone who is a healthy person, they're going to challenge some of that in me. You know, if I have this self-sacrifice thing where I've got to do everything for everybody, at some point my healthy partner is going to go, will you please stop doing that? What does healthy mean, though? <laughs> I guess what is- well, and, and again, healthy means that I can have a, a mutual connection where we can, my needs are important to you, your needs are important to me, and we're able to... Um, prioritize those and understand each other's expectations. And we have an expectation 
that those needs are going to get met. And I don't have to be in a relationship. I can walk away from it. If I'm trapped in a relationship, it's not healthy. A word that I like to use for describing effective, healthy relationships is reciprocity, where there's a circular give and take in a relationship. I don't know what that word means. <laughs> right? He's explaining it. <laughs> reciprocity basically means, and you, you described it really well, Mike, but it's, it's, I think of it like a circle. I'm giving... And then she's giving or he's giving, and it's this circle back and forth. You can't really see right now because I'm making a motion with my hand, it's really good. listeners. <laughs> but it's, it's, really it's, good. It's, Imagine it's, a man drawing a circle. Yeah. It's a <laughs> circle where it comes out of my mouth and then back around. And it's this circular relationship where everyone who is in a part of this relationship, man, woman, cisgender, whatever, they are all equal partners in this relationship, and it is a constant conversation. Yes. Pause conversation about what I need in this relationship and more importantly what can I do to meet your needs because if I if you feel like your needs are being met I am much more likely to have my needs I get I guess my question is though when I ask the question of how can these people start to heal I think a lot of them that's part of the problem is they don't have a healthy relationship so what are some other ways that these people can heal where they're not dependent as much on someone else, things that they can do if, they're, if they don't have that relationship? Uh, yoga, I think, is one. <laughs> but I, I, honestly, to tell you, I, I'm not sure how much you can heal. I mean, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, I mean, if you're losing your self-respect, if you're being hurt, if you're doing those things, you probably need to leave the relationship. Yeah. And, and that's, that's unfortunately where it starts. Or at least be able to have the conversation of, I don't know if you know this or not, but I feel like I lost my self-respect, and you're hurting me, and maybe my partner can go, crap, I didn't know that, let's get some help. Um, but there has to be you know, a couple things that we think about anytime with this. First of all, if I'm walking on eggshells, we got a problem. For whatever reason, if we're walking on eggshells, we need to talk. We need to talk about what, what's, what's not being said. And every, every couple, and everybody does this. We have a fight, and then halfway through the fight, you go, what are we fighting about? I, I don't remember what we're fighting about again. Whoa. So we kind of think in terms of every couple has the same fight over and over again, because the fight they need to have, they're afraid to have. So we're not going to argue about the stuff we really need to fight over. Well, guess what? We need to talk about whatever it is we're not talking about, because that's the source of, of these things that, that hurt the relationship. But, I mean, if you think in terms of what um, uh, I don't know, therapeutically we think of a thing in, in dialectical behavior therapy with um, relationship success, which boils down to getting what I want, maintaining my relationship, and keeping my self-respect. How, how am I going to get what I want in a relationship? i got to tell somebody, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to tell me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not always going to get what I want, so we got to work to maintain the relationship, but at no time am I giving up my self-respect. And I think we've all been there where the person's going out the door and we're going, stop, I'll do anything if you come back. Anything's a big word. You know, I'm giving up a, a big piece of the farm when I say anything, and now I've just put myself in a very bad situation. So we've got to look at that. If I'm not feeling respected, I probably either need to do some serious adjustment or I need to leave the relationship. And But other than that, I think if, by yourself, a lot of this is some some self-valuing. You know, we have to get our value up, and then we have to understand how to feel like, I'm a valuable person, and I have value and worth within myself. I, I joke about yoga, but yoga is actually a great place to start t- getting in touch with my body and feeling like this is something I can do. And 
going out there and doing things that feel good for me. Being able to say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. So I guess you got to read Brene Brown. I don't know. <laughs> that is true. I'm, I'm reading another one of her books. I read them all or I listen to them. So I'm going to kind of flip this a little bit. Yes. Okay. So we've talked about what I feel like is super important. Now I'm going to talk about what I feel like is super fun. So, <laughs> 12, 13 years in the marriage where things are good. I was going to say, we're almost 20. Yeah. Well, you have to three times a day. That's all I'm So here's my thing I'm going to throw out there. I've been married almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years this year. And Congratulations. I, awesome. Thank you, thank you. I would say the first 10 years of my marriage, great. I mean, I, wouldn't, I don't have complaints, except for the fact that I was never honest. And maybe even more than 10 years. Yeah. I agree with that, too. And we're only at 12. (laughs) I was never honest. Part of that is the way I grew up. Part of it is the culture that I was in. It was some religious beliefs for me that I felt like other people outside of my marriage were telling me, this is wrong, this is right, this is dirty, this is okay. Hallelujah for Bunko. (laughs) Shout out for Bunko. (laughs) Thank you, women, for giving my wife uh, some dirty thoughts that she wanted to have. She said she already had them. So, she, she says, I don't I, know if it's true. Here's my thing, and I guess, like, I, I thought about this a lot when I thought about this is about finding strength. I felt like when I became more real with me and more real with my spouse about sex, I was stronger. I was a stronger person. I liked myself better. I felt sexier myself. Like, I'm an attractive person. Mm-hmm. All these things built me up in my own head where I'm like, I am awesome. And it really did a lot of it stem from sex because before, you know, trying different things or just being like, I would have thoughts in my head and I would never want to tell Kevin like, Hey, I don't like this, but I like this. I didn't want to say it Mm because I thought, Oh, that's so demasculating. I don't want to say that to him. When I started being honest, we started being real with each other. And I think Kevin would say this, our sex life changed and because of that we're still married and it's almost 20 years and we're going strong sex has never been I, I would say the thing that I really liked about what she said right there was the things in her mind that I wished that she would say which some of those were swear words and that's freaking hot when those <laughs> things come out <laughs> so I mean yes it is good to say what you what you want sometimes well and you know I think that you I said this a little bit before but you kind of captured it and this is true of any relationship all those people need to get the hell out of your bedroom mm-hmm. if that's where you're having sex or out of the kitchen or the basement, wherever it is. <laughs> the people that are there are the only ones who have a voice. Let those other people go. They're not, you know, you're going to spend your whole life trying to please people and they probably don't even want you to. They probably would be surprised that you're still worrying about what their thoughts are. But that's the first part. And I'm not being ethical in my relationship if I'm not being honest. I mean, yes. if my partner thinks they're married to one person, but they're actually married to somebody else. That might be a little bit true, but we, but it could also be a lot true, you know. And so that honesty is going to let everything kind of be like, okay, now we're now we're open. I don't have to fear my thoughts, and my partner is going to tell me their thoughts, and so we're going to be pretty good. And this is this is all of a sudden I can be safer. I can be. Um, closer, I can be healthier because we're being honest. So, Mike, how, what do you tell your clients then who come in here and sit with you? How do you tell them to tell their spouse that? How do you, without the woman, you know, 
making the man feel shameful or vice versa, making the, you know, the man who wants to tell his wife, like, I don't like that, but let's, let's try this. Would you be okay with that? Cause I feel like that's the biggest thing is we struggle with being vulnerable. First of all, telling our spouse, like, that's not working for me. What if we tried this? What do you tell your patients? Okay. So, um, couple things. First thing is, you know, it's funny you say, I, I'm afraid to, to be vulnerable. I'm naked, but I'm afraid to be vulnerable. <laughs> no, so seriously. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But um, and I'm on the chandelier, but I don't want to be vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. So um, that thing might come undone. Mike, I don't know. Call so you there sexy we go. Mike for a reason. So, <laughs> he doesn't mess around. We need to try so, the chandelier. <laughs> but but first of all, as a family therapist, everybody needs to be in the room when we're talking about this. Okay. So whether it's the two of you or the 12 of you, whatever it is, we don't have this conversation. If I'm having the conversation with you by yourself, how are we ever going to get all that over to them, right? Mm-hmm. The, because all the things we're talking about, we're fighting just normally or maybe even not normally. We got to fight all those to get over to your partner. But if the partner's sitting here in the room, the beautiful thing about family therapy is when you go, well, he doesn't like it when I do this. And he goes, what are you talking about? I love when you do that. And he's like, what, you do? And so all of a sudden, all these things come out that we've, we've been weirdly um, juggling. But, you know, something we do is, um, and takes a little bit of investment, but it's called sensate focus, which is essentially starting with just touch and learning how to, learning the different levels of touch and different levels of feeling and when you do that, again, back to that point of being mindful, when you're paying attention to how it feels, the texture of your partner's skin when you're touching them or the texture of your partner's touch when they're touching you, not where they're touching or anything else, it's pretty hard not to be in the moment. Yeah. And it's pretty hard not to be mindful. So part of what we do in Sensate Focus is a, is a lot of work on just being able to touch without being um, necessarily uh, sexual or erogenous in any way. And we go through a lot of that, a lot of time where you're spent um, just being comfortable together, touching each other, and learning how to take someone's hand and move it away from where you want it or move it to where you want it mm-hmm. and not being afraid to go, ooh, less of that, more of this. And sensate focus, you don't really talk. You're, you're, you're just moving and, and touching the person, helping guide them to where they go. But just that ability to maybe guide someone. If I can't tell you, but I can move your hand, mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about it later, but right now I just want your hand over here. I love that because my love language is touch. So we should work on that. So the, <clears throat> Mike, you may not have an answer for this one, but and I, I don't even know why I'm asking this question. Actually, I do because guys will love me. Seven times um, a day. Yes. <laughs> no. So let's, let's talk about, I, I feel like, and maybe this is both ways, but I feel like this is more of a woman thing compared to man thing. Um, oral sex, okay? Some women struggle to do any sort of oral sex or to have oral sex performed on them, how would you, I would think that majority of men want to have oral sex one way or the other. How, how would you tell them to go about that with their spouse? Because I feel like it is a very bonding thing. I feel like it's a very good thing in a sexual relationship. Personally, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but how do you, I, I understand just talking about it, but okay. But it, also, I'd say that is one of those things that sometimes, depending on where you grow up or the culture you're in, yeah, that it's, it's religious. It's beliefs, no, it's not okay, or it's dirty. Yeah. Where the fact of the matter is, like you said, Mike, I love how you said everyone else can get the hell out of your room because it's the truth. It's what this person may say is not okay. Well, that that may work for us. 
and keep us bonded. And I think there's a, there's a lot of answers to that because, first of all, when we start having that conversation, okay, well, I would like this. doesn't matter what this is, right? I would like this. Now, the first thing I have to do is be honest about how I feel about that, right? There are people who, for whatever reason, that doesn't feel safe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it might feel safe, but it doesn't feel safe right now. And we've got to talk about it. And what does all that mean? We've got experiences. We've got context that the other person may not even be aware of. So I think with any of this stuff, the first part is just having the conversation about what do you think of this, you know? And this is, this is again, now, again, going into off-the-reservation off um, territory. But this is one of the uses of, you know, sexual materials like films or, or magazines or whatever else where I can go, what do you think about this? You know, were you ever interested in this? Or having the conversation of, well, what do you think is going on there? You know, and, and, oh, what do you think of that? Or have you ever done this? Or truth or dare, you know, or are those things where we're trying to get to, let's have a conversation about what, what think, is it? We never, I, I never guess did. the question is though, on oral sex, I feel like if you're opposed to that, most likely you're not, ever really looking at that stuff so the thought of like someone that never has oral sex with their spouse and then you throw a porno in front of them or a magazine seems very unrealistic and that even comes from me where i'm don't care about a I, lot i, I agree it's, it's unrealistic <laughs> if it's not part of what you do it's unrealistic right. if you're not comfortable with it and i wouldn't say to somebody here take this home and show that to your wife and you'll be good to go because it's not going <laughs> to happen right you'll go all right but it won't be there um <laughs> and so I think yes. I think you're absolutely right, but but again, this is going to come from from discussing it, and 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 again, if you go to a sex therapist, I can bring this stuff up. You know, I've got a place where I can safely go if I talk about this. This person is going to allow us to talk about this, and this, and I can talk about this mm-hmm. with, my, with my spouse. The first part of of any kind of sex therapy or any kind of sexual counseling is giving everybody permission to talk about right. what it is we have, mm-hmm. and I can do it with my partner. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to say? I mean, I'm crazy. It's Friday night. Tell me about something you've never told me before. Well, I like this. Okay, well, I don't. But, um, yeah, I think that's one of those things where it's very personal. And it's, you know, the the joke is some people are going to say, you touch your wife's feet? You know, that's disgusting. You know, that's, or whatever. Whatever it is I want to do, I'm afraid either it's not going to be good or they're not going to like it or they already told me they don't like it. And that gets back to the idea of, can we take some risks? Can we, what happens if we play? What happens if we let all those people go? Why is it, this is one of the things we talk about with um, even masturbation and pornography or anything is usually, this guy came to me one time, he says, um, he says, uh, I'm a sex addict. I said, okay, so your wife says you're a sex addict. He's like, well, Isn't that every guy? How, how, do you know, how do you know my wife says I'm a sex addict? He says, I said, because usually your partner is going to tell you that you're a sex addict. You don't, you're not wandering around going, I'm a sex addict, right? But, um, the idea of um, what do we do with this and how do we talk about this stuff. But um, I think easing into some of these conversations and, and how, do we, um, how do we talk about it? What's, what's safe? And it's not going to be okay for everybody, but it might be kind of okay to talk about, well, what, what would happen now? What, why is it that you don't like this? Or why is it that you don't want your partner to look at this? What happens when we do this? And you start having some real conversations about this. I want to have oral sex. My wife doesn't. And 
I might look at the person who says that and say, why do you want to have oral sex? Or I might look at the partner and say, why don't you want to have oral sex? Or do you even know that your partner wants to have oral sex and he thinks you don't want to have oral sex? Because that's a good conversation too. So I think a lot of times we need some help to talk about some of these mm-hmm. things. And that's where, you know, there's no bed in my office, but that's what sex therapists do is they, they allow the conversation, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, I would say <laughs> listeners, if you're listening and you're struggling, talk about it. Have that conversation. Do that. Be vulnerable. Get uncomfortable. Talk about it because your sex life will get better. I was going to say one thing I've learned over the years is we have a lot of really good friends. We're very open with each other about a lot of things. We talk about a lot of things. And that might sound really dirty to other people, but I have learned many things that have enhanced my sex life. And that's not to be gross or dirty, but being able to talk to my friends and being able to have talk as couples has helped us dramatically, dramatically. in saying, yes. okay, so, so that's nor- that's okay. Like you do that and you're, you still have a good marriage. Those things are huge. So talking, Check conversations, down. that seems like the biggest thing in anybody's sex life. Yes, because you don't get it from home. It's not yeah. like you're sitting down with your parents at the dinner table talking about sex, you know. Talk about it. Talk about it with your friends. And I feel like parents should be more open about sex and intimacy. Is that kind of your, so we'll start with you. We're going to wrap this up. Okay. Takeaways. Is that, do you feel like that's your takeaway for today? Yes. Okay. I think you should definitely <laughs> talk about it. Talk with your spouse. If you're struggling, talk about it. We grew up very differently. My house, my sex was an open conversation. Not necessarily sex. I shouldn't say that. Intimacy. Intimacy was huge in my family. And I saw my parents love and touch each other and kiss. And I knew that that was important. And so if you are struggling in that area, tell your spouse. Matt, what's yours? Uh, mine um, was the moment Mike and I shared about just <laughs> being vulnerable enough to help other people when they struggle. That is definitely a strength, a, a, a great source of strength for me. So I'm just grateful for Mike for doing this. And then I think as far as like information, takeaway information, um, I would say that, again, just reiterating you got to talk to your spouse and you got to start that conversation like now, like you get done with this podcast and you're listening to it. And you're like, I, I really think I want to have this conversation. Don't mull it over. Just go start a conversation. It's going to be hard whether you do it in five seconds or in two hours or in 20 days, but the conversation has to happen if you want to improve your intimacy. Agreed. I'd say biggest thing, be open-minded. Yes. Be open-minded because if you're going to have a conversation with your spouse or with friends or anything, you need to take away the judgment and listen and learn from other people's experiences. Um, I would say my biggest takeaway from today was I feel very blessed to be uh, where I am in life because of the fact of hearing people's stories. And I, I feel terrible that people deal with some of the things that are talked about where they've had these horrible experiences as a child and, you know, I hope whoever is listening that you have learned something from it and be open about it because I sex is awesome and everyone should enjoy it. <laughs> Period. Sex is awesome. I have two takeaways from this. The first one is I'm supposed to be having sex three times a day. I'm excited about this. I'm going to go home and talk to my that's, wife that's about that. To my brother. Right, and that's good. And, and the other takeaway that I guess is, is if you're not uncomfortable 
during sex that you're doing it wrong. Is that what you said? That you need to be uncomfortable? Oh, wait, no, it's okay to be uncomfortable during it's sex. Okay it's okay to talk and be uncomfortable. Okay, I thought we had to yeah. be uncomfortable to do it right. And okay, it's okay good. for men to cry. Okay, then not during sex, though, right? You shouldn't hurt that I mean, bad. some right? do. If it's, that, if it's that good, you if might. If it's during, okay. I got it. I mean, Matt cries every time. It's true. I do. Before or after? Uh, Matt cries every day. I love crying. It's my favorite. Crying's my favorite. Thank you, all of you, for coming here, joining us. This was a great time. I really appreciate you guys coming. Thank you, listeners, for doing this with us. And we'll see you next time on Finding Strength. Well, that was a fun episode. I'm not going to lie. I think that was my favorite so far. And we were lucky enough. No, I do Every time. I think it's because it keeps getting better. We just get so good at this. Yes, definitely. I loved having Brindy and Kevin on, and we should probably have that every once in a while because it throws a little, little kink in things. I kind of like it. <laughs> kink, kinky. I'm not really sure. We'll take both. <laughs> this is why I was scared about that podcast. What? <laughs> yes. Having uh, to do a one on sex with my wife was petrifying for me. <laughs> I did not know what was going to come out of her mouth. I, first and foremost, want to apologize to my brother, Scott, for. <laughs> putting him out there i apologize scott i love you um i would like to give a a shout out to texas roadhouse and lehigh those guys are freaking awesome um they help us a lot with the brighten a day foundation just recently we did on the same day that this podcast was uh, done they they donated all the food for all the families for the brighten a day foundation which is me and bethany's foundation which is a huge passion project for us where we help families that have lost children. Uh, 100% of the proceeds of that go to helping families. Um, we don't get paid anything for it, but that's all right. That's what we love about it. So, You don't want to say anything? Brindy's shaking her head at me. You cannot be so Come on. Shy. What, did you, what did you think of it? What did you think of it? The, the podcast. It was good. It was good. It's probably one of my favorites too. See, why? Sexy Mike did a really good job, and his to- his story is very touching. It is touching. Get it? Touching. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I had a, it was that was all touching. Definitely, <laughs> definitely the most fun. I loved it. I've listened to the whole thing already, and I I, I just I really loved it. I had a lot of fun doing that podcast this time. I hope to do it again with you guys soon. Um, for me. Shout outs to you people, the listeners. Thank you a million times over for all the support. We love the feedback. We love, love, love the Finding Strength following nation. I don't know. We got to come up with a name for our our listeners. The crew, the Finding Strength crew, our posse. We'll come up with something cool. And maybe, maybe if you guys have an idea, what should we call you, the listeners? Hit us up on Facebook. Um, uh, you can find me Matt Quackenbush comma MSW Bethany Tenney is on there as well follow Bright in a Day uh, you can also follow me on Instagram Matt Quack, or Matt underscore Quackenbush go to my website and if you need therapy I'm your guy <laughs> also I was a little disappointed no questions about sex yeah what the freak guys like, come on do this again and you guys better gear up because I need some good questions to ask Sexy Mike I want him on again he was awesome and you can send them to us anonymously. We don't need to know who it is. You can make a fake Facebook account and ask whatever <laughs> questions you want. Anyways, thanks for listening, guys. Step out of line, the man come and take you away.
better stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Better stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Better stop. Now, what's that sound? Everybody look.